0: This morning's reading is from John chapter 21, starting at verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumour spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is truth jesus did many other things as well if every one of them were written down i suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written amen and thanks be to god
1: I don't know if you watched much of yesterday's proceedings on tv there are some things that i found interesting I was struck by the beauty of the Windsor Greys. These horses that pulled the carriage. There and back. Different carriage. More horses. But they are only for the royal family. Nobody else gets to use them. Beautiful horses. Brought out for state events. But used by... The family. The Archbishop of Canterbury initially was set to call upon, and I quote, all persons of goodwill in the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland and of the other realms and the territories to make their homage in heart and voice to their undoubted King, Defender of all. That didn't go down very well. So, what he did instead was to invite people to offer their support. Can kind of lacks something. Offer your support, but we understand why that happened. The people doing the commentary made so much of the different robes that were being worn for the day, and we got you know the Charles changing out of one robe and into another robe and bloody, but they went on and on about the robes and the number of bits of thread and the bloody yeah. And then there was the kiss a son to his father. That was quite a moving moment, having pledged allegiance. Lots of pomp and ceremony. And we do that quite well. You know, I mean, we might not agree with it, but we do it well. Well, of course, it's not finished yet. Whatever your feelings about the monarchy, it is an incredible spectacle. Nineteen different bands stretched out over a mile, starting to play at exactly the same time. I mean, who else does that? <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> Pomp and ceremony. Our story today is about a meeting with a different king. An entirely different kind of king. A king who entered the city not on a gold coach drawn by beautiful horses, but on a donkey. Whose way was strewn with coats A king betrayed, not honoured by a kiss. A king whose clothes were torn and whose robe was fit only for gambling over. A king to whom promises of allegiance were made and very quickly forgotten. Last week we saw that Jesus had performed this amazing miracle with a huge catch of fish. And it was then his disciples realised it was him on the shore. So they hauled in the fish, and then he invited them for breakfast. We come to the end of this Gospel of John, and we have this last amazing scene between Jesus and Peter. Think of the atmosphere around that fire. We talked earlier about about how smells can can you know just bring memories back. And the last time we are told that Jesus was around, Peter was around. This kind of fire was when he when he disowned Jesus. There might have been small talk in the group as they sat eating eating breakfast, but I wonder if they ever dared to mention the elephant in the room. All of them had left him. All of them had abandoned him. But Peter particularly, I can imagine, sitting maybe even on the opposite side of the fire, with a wee surreptitious glance now and again at Jesus, wondering... When's he going to say it? When's when's he going to throw me out? When's he going to tell me how how awful I've been? When's he going to tell me that's the end, I've had enough of you? Then it seems as if they head off along the shore and Jesus and Peter have the chance to be together. And Jesus says, Simon, do you love me more than these? Well, what are these that he's talking about? Could it be that he pointed to the other disciples? He said, "Do you love me more than these other disciples? These other people?" Says, "I remember what you said, but your actions didn't match your words. They left me, Peter, but you denied me." Yeah, it could be the other disciples. Could Jesus have been pointing at the fishing boat? When he said, Do you love me more than these? Peter has just led that group out to go fishing. Back to what they knew. Back to what they did before. Back to what he thought was security. Going back to what they knew best. It was almost as if he's saying, It was a good run, I enjoyed it, but now it's time to get back to reality. Could Jesus even have been pointing at the food and the fire? meaning comfort and security. And before we jump in Peter and the disciples too much, I wonder if, if maybe there's something we can see about ourselves in them. When was the last time you and I had to pass the stickability test? Has there been a social setting when Christ's modern day accusers were so in control of the moment that you and I felt the heat and betrayed them? Have we been caught in a circumstance where we were in the minority and rather than lose social or business acceptability we abandoned them? Has there been a time recently when we found it easier to be politically correct than biblically true? So when Jesus asks you do you love me more than these? It's not intended to be an easy question. It's one to which we are expected to give proper consideration. We cannot love Jesus more than these, and yet put these, whatever they are, ahead of him. So Jesus asked Peter, and he asks us the hard question, the questions that make us squirm. I can imagine that Peter didn't even look at Jesus when he he said the word, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And maybe Peter's tone was, I really don't want to talk about this. It's done. Can we just move on? But that's not how Jesus works. For there to be full restoration, there has to be full repentance. Jesus asked the hard question, and when Peter, like us, wanted to dodge it, he pressed it home knowing that it was for Peter's good. The most remarkable thing about it is that by way of forgiveness, Jesus gives Peter a job to do. When Peter says that he loves Jesus, Jesus didn't go, oh, that's great, thanks. He says, here's what I want you to do now then. Feed my sheep. The three questions correspond to Peter's three denials. Three for completeness, but three also for For the reminder, the smell of the fire, Peter's night of agony and Jesus' own night of agony. But the former can be dealt with because of the latter. Jesus is the Passover lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Peter's sin, your sin, my sin. So Jesus goes to where the pain is, as he so often does. He asks Peter the question that goes to the heart of it all do you love me? It would be possible to make something of the fact that when Peter replies to Jesus, he used a different word for love. But I think that what really matters is that the question is asked and answered. And even more, the answer earns each time not a pat on the back, but a command, a fresh challenge, a new commission. Time to learn how to be a shepherd. Time to feed the lambs and the sheep and learn to look after them. Not only is this a fresh commission where Jesus is trusting Peter to go back to fruitful work. It's a commission in which Jesus is sharing his own life and work with Peter. Because Jesus is the good shepherd. The one who gave everything for his sheep. He has the task of leading and feeding the sheep, guiding them to and from pasture. He knows them and they know him. And he has now given his life for them. But the commission in John chapter 20, verse 21, is very specific. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. There's no getting away from it. And it means that Peter is to share Jesus' task of shepherding. In that somewhere is the secret of all Christian ministry. Yours and mine. Lay or ordained, full time or part time. At home, at work or in the church. It's the secret of everything. From uh, those who are uh, quiet back row members of prayer groups or Bible studies. To being a platform speaker at huge rallies and conferences. If you're going to do any single thing as a follower or servant of Jesus. This is what it's built on. Somewhere in us. There is a love for Jesus. And even though we have let him down so many times, he wants to find that love. To give us a chance to express it. To heal the hurt and failures of the past. And to give us new work to do. We cannot earn forgiveness. Nothing can ever do that. It's God's grace from start to finish. He gives us things to do that come from the joy and relief that we are already forgiven. Things that we are given to do precisely as a sign that we are forgiven. (laughs) Things that might be costly to us because Jesus' own work cost everything. Things that might mean following Jesus into suffering and struggle, and we see that Peter ends his life by laying it down in sacrifice for Jesus. But from this point, Peter goes from strength to strength. He was still muddled from time to time, as as we see as we read through the book of Acts. But he became a shepherd. He loved Jesus and he looked after his sheep. and No one could ask for more. And Jesus never asks for less. Having been given his task, Peter saw that John was following them. And I think he did what most of us do. What about him? It's like, you want me to do what? Well, what about him then? Is he getting something worse than me? That's normally the way around. We like it, isn't it? We, you, oh, you've me something good. Can he have something really nasty? <laughs> what about him then? They had shared so much together. But Peter had to learn that God gives each one a different role to play. And we need to learn and remember that we are called to follow Jesus where he leads us. Not where he leads somebody else. We don't have the gifts necessarily that other people have. They will have their role and their place in God's kingdom. We need to do what God calls us to do. If you like, Jesus is calling us to be the spiritual equivalent of Windsor Grace. Called to serve the king and for his use and his use alone. It's likely that this whole chapter has been added to the story because of a rumor that had gone around in the early church that Jesus was coming back before John would die. And it's likely that the elderly apostle or someone else at his dictation wrote chapter 21 and added it to the end because the book already has a good ending. Chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. However, without the whole story of this miracle, the breakfast, the conversation with Peter, it would be difficult to explain how this misunderstanding about John had come about. So they've added it. But this time, instead of telling us why he's written the things he has, John tells us, what would have happened if he'd tried to write down everything that Jesus had said and done? And that's why he says Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose even the whole world would not have had room for the books <coughs> that would be written. It raises the question, though. So if you've been here and you've worked through John's gospel with us, and you don't believe that Jesus is God what else would he have had to write to convince you? If you do already believe, what do you need to convince you to put these aside and take the next steps of faith? The ultimate point of this Is that the king of kings, the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end, was born into this world. And he gave himself for us. All of the books in the world cannot do that justice and we will never fully understand it in this life. Nothing less than flesh can do meaning to the word Books can reach into the world a little, but our lives, lived in the power of the Spirit, have the potential to reach into our communities, into our country and across the world. The disciples of Jesus are sent into the world, not just in the first century, but in every generation since. You and I are called to go into the world with the good news of the gospel of Jesus. The world remains the object of God's saving love. The reason that Jesus died. And just as he was sent into it by the Father, so we are sent into it by him. And whatever part we are called to play, we can go and do it with his words <laughs> ringing in our ears. John sixteen thirty three, Jesus says this. I've told you all this. So that, trusting me, you will be unshakable and assured, deeply at peace. In this godless world, you will continue to experience difficulties. But take heart. I've conquered the world. What an incredible promise. Told you all this so that trusting me, you will be unshakable and assured deeply at peace. I don't always feel that way. But that's because I don't always focus on Jesus. And that's the challenge for us. But that's also the promise for us. When we do focus on Jesus, when we put him first, that's his promise. And we can trust him. Amen.